happy Mother's Day to all the moms and the grandmas and the stepmoms. And we are so glad that you're here with us. It's such an honor to be with you here today. I want to give a warm welcome to those of you at the Sunnyvale campus and those joining us online. Thank you so much for setting apart part of your Mother's Day weekend to celebrate here with us at South Bay. You know, Mother's Day affects all of us in different ways. Like, I can guarantee you that there were some single guys that walked in here today and thought, oh my gosh, it's Mother's Day. And they pulled out their phone real quick and shot a text message to their mom. And they are just praying that Walgreens still has a few extra cards at the end of the service. It's okay, single guys. We, we love you. We are glad that you are here. <laughs> for most people, or for a lot of people, Mother's Day is a very happy occasion. It's filled with a lot of joy, and you wake up to flowers and homemade cards with misspelled words. The, the card that Sammy gave me this morning was it's spelled Mother's, M-O-T. W-E-R. So happy Mottwer's Day to you guys. Mother's Day can be a time full of joy and great family memories, but Mother's Day can be a mixed bag for people. It can also bring up a lot of feelings of, of pain and loss and even regret for people. And so before we go any further in the service today, I just want to take a moment to pause and acknowledge the pain that Mother's Day can bring up. Maybe you're a woman here today and you would love to have a child, but you're not able to bear one. Or maybe you've lost a child and Mother's Day hurts. Maybe you're single and you thought by this point in your life you would have kids and you'd be married, but you don't. Maybe you've lost your mom. Maybe she passed away and Mother's Day makes you miss her like crazy. And I just want to say that it is okay to not be okay today. You don't have to walk in here with a big smile on your face and pretend like everything is great just because you're at church. God sees you right where you are, and he loves you, and I believe he has a message of hope to speak into your life today, because today we're going to talk about what it looks like to walk through trials, and the truth is all of us, no matter if we are a man or a woman, young or old, we all walk through hardships in life. And can I just get a witness from some mamas in here that there are some trials associated with motherhood? I mean, am I telling the truth, Sunnyvale? Am I telling the truth? I am telling the truth. There are some trials associated with motherhood. So this message is definitely going to apply to motherhood, but it is not solely for moms. So all the men in the room just said, thank goodness for that. <laughs> it doesn't just apply to moms because it's broader than that. All of us walk through trials. All of us live with hardships. And the truth is most of us live there most of the time. Because even though we go through different seasons and sometimes trials ebb and flow, sometimes they come on really strong, almost to the point of crushing us. And then there are times where they kind of back off a bit. But we always live there with that, with that sense of joy in one hand and grief in another. We've got victory right here and defeat beside it. It, does, it doesn't seem like those two things should be allowed to coexist, but they do, almost always. And so today we're going to talk about what does it look like to walk through trials in a way that honors God. And I feel like this message is such an important thing for us to wrap our minds around because the way that we respond to hardship and pain in our life will define us. It's true for every person that has made an impact 
on planet Earth that they walked through tremendous hardships. They overcame adversity, and we will face those things as well. And the way that we respond to it will define us. Trials can either develop us or they can disillusion us. They can make us look more like Jesus, or they can bring out like the very worst part of us. All of us know some people that have been through hardships, and they ended up bitter instead of better. And none of us want that to be true of ourselves. And so today I'm going to share with you a story about the life of one of my mentors. It's about a man that has become exceedingly dear to me over the last six months or so. I've literally met with him almost every single day, and I've just learned more and more about his story. And and it it has just made such a profound impact on me that as I c- thought about compa- uh, preparing for this message today, I couldn't not share it with you. And so my mentor's name is Joseph. So you see, guys, I told you that this message would apply to you too. This We're going to be learning uh, from a man today. I know that it probably threw off some of you that there's a chick up here on stage. But before you tune me out, I just want you to know that this message can apply to your life as well. And I also want to clear up any concern you might have about the pastor's wife meeting with another man named Joseph for the past six months. Um, this Joseph is from the Bible, and uh, his story takes up a whopping 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. That is a lot of ink. That is a lot more space than most characters of the Bible have. But I think that God, when he was thinking about Joseph's story, he was like, oh my gosh, it's just so good. I can't leave it out. So he just put it all in there. Now, I'm sure you'll be relieved to know I don't intend to cover all 13 chapters today, but we are going to pick up right where the story begins. Joseph is a 17-year-old guy. So I want you to get in your head an image of a 17-year-old guy. We're thinking like late high school, early college, you guys got something in your mind, and, and don't Bibleize him, okay? Don't, like, imagine him sitting around saying prayers all day. That's, that's not what 17-year-old guys do most of the time. He probably had acne. He probably liked to flex his muscles. He probably had an obsession with his newly formed chest hair. I'm sure that he did, like, the ancient equivalent of the selfie, and he probably posted it on whatever social media platforms were popular back there in those times. And so this is a 17-year-old guy. You guys got a picture of him in your head? Now, uh, Joseph came from a very large and dysfunctional family. Somebody in here just said, me too. <laughs> you guys can relate. So, and he was born, when he was, um, when he was very young, his mom passed away giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin. And so Joseph and Benjamin grew up with their dad as their only parents. But that doesn't really give a full picture of the story because they also had ten older half-brothers. And his dad also sported three extra wives. So, I mean, I told you, dysfunctional, right? I mean, you thought your family had issues? This guy's family has some issues. And to add to the dysfunction of it all, Joseph occupied the unwanted position of being his dad's favorite son. Now, most of us would probably think, hey, that'd be pretty cool to be the favorite kid. I know when I was growing up, my siblings and I always fought about, I'm the favorite kid. No, I'm the favorite kid. And, uh, but no, it's not, it, it would not be cool because then you have ten older brothers that hate you, they're jealous of you, they despise you. Actually, the Bible says in Genesis 37 that his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Can you imagine living in that type of environment where there was never a kind word spoken to you? It was all hate all the time. That is a toxic environment, and that is exactly where Joseph was living. And so one day, 
his brothers are out in the field shepherding their sheep because, you know, that's what shepherds do. And Joseph goes out to check on them. And as he is approaching them, they see him from a distance. And just the sight of him brings up so much hate and disgust and anger that they start plotting how to get rid of him. And they throw out a few ideas. And one idea is just let's just kill him and we'll lie to our dad about it. We'll cover it up somehow. And somebody else said, well, why don't we throw him into a pit and just let him die down there of natural causes? And then someone had this brilliant idea. And they said, let's not just kill him. Let's profit by getting rid of him. Let's sell him into slavery. And all the other brothers were like, genius. We're going to get rid of him and make some money in the process. And so they did it. They sold their brother, their own brother. I mean, I'm sure that there are some siblings in the room that may have considered selling their brother to the highest bidder on Craigslist. But these guys actually did it. So that is how Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. Not because of anything that he did wrong, but because of a wrong committed against him. Now, I don't know what kind of hardships you have in your life today, but I know that you have some. Because the reality is we all do. We all carry with us something that is causing us pain, something that is difficult to walk through. And sometimes it's like a sharp stabbing pain, and it demands all of our attention. And then other times it's more like a dull, throbbing pain, and we try our best to ignore it and to, to move on. But there is something there causing pain in our lives, a trial that we're walking through. And what I want us to remember today is that the way that we respond to these trials, it is going to define our lives. One of the key lessons that I feel like we can pick up as we study the life of Joseph is that my faithfulness in the trial that I have today is what prepares me for fruitfulness in the triumph that God wants to give me tomorrow. My faithfulness today is preparing me for my fruitfulness tomorrow. There is something that God wants to do in and through your life that, is, that he is preparing you for, even in this trial, in this moment, that there is something that he has for you. So without even knowing it, Joseph just got signed up for character school. And he didn't intend to. Andy and I like to call it character school whenever you go through something difficult. It's like a hard time in your life. We call it character school. And he didn't mean to sign up for it. Have you guys ever gotten signed up for something and you never intended to sign up for it? Like one time I asked this guy, what keeps you coming back to South Bay? And without even blinking an eye, he says to me, because my wife keeps signing me up to serve. <laughs> I love that. I was like, good for her. Good for her. So Joseph didn't intend to walk into a registrar's office and sign up for character school. Because that is not how character school normally works. You just get signed up. You just get your syllabus in the mail. And you're like, ah, oh, great. Another class with Professor Payne or Professor Trials or Dr. Unforeseen Circumstances. And you know what? They are great teachers. They have some great lessons for all of us to learn. But their classes are so hard. And Joseph is about to earn a Ph.D. in character development. He is going, his course was 13 long years of character school. And he is going to take continuing education classes the rest of his life. But he is going to earn this diploma that makes him highly marketable. He has got character of gold on the other side of this. 
So we're going to pick up the story right as Joseph is entering his freshman year of character school in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. So it says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did. That phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, it just pops off the page at me because I think, really? I mean, this brother just got betrayed by his family. He got sold into slavery. It sure doesn't seem like the Lord was with him. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like your life is just falling apart. Maybe you just lost your job or your marriage is on the rocks. Or maybe your kids hate you. They've like declared a coup against you. Maybe your, your finances have you underwater. And you're like, God, where in the world are you? The truth is he is right there with you. That bad circumstances do not mean the absence of God. That he is right there even in the midst of slavery in Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord is with you too. He is with you young mom who is exhausted physically and emotionally drained. He is with you, sir, as you go to work every day and you feel the grind and it weighs on your soul to provide for your family. He is with that woman who's here today who longs for a child and yet her arms remain empty. And you just want to shake your fist at God and say, God, where in the world are you? And he wants to tell you today that he is with you that it's not some cliche. He is with you in the hardest parts of life. And just like we sang about earlier today, he is that anchor that holds us. When Andy and I went through six years of infertility, he was with us. When we went through a devastating miscarriage, he was with us. And he held us and he anchored us to what was true and good and right. I just want to tell you today that God is with you. Let's continue in verse 5 where it says, From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Isn't it interesting that everything is up and to the right for Joseph? But besides the small detail that he's in slavery, I mean, everything he touches is prospering. Everything is flourishing. Even in the midst of slavery, where it doesn't seem like he should be thriving, it seems like maybe barely surviving would be more of the market success. He is thriving in the midst of this. And don't you know that Potiphar takes note? Because Potiphar loves the fact that he has a slave who everything he touches turns to gold. So Potiphar keeps giving him more things to touch. He keeps increasing his scope of influence. If you look at verse 6, it says, So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except for what kind of food to eat. The amazing thing, the thing that just kind of blows my mind, it doesn't even make sense, really, is how God's favor can make us triumph in the midst of our trials. That seems like such an oxymoron. Like, we should, like trials are not a place you triumph. Trials are something you just put your head down and you get through it. But that's not how it works in God's economy. 
God can make you prosper in the midst of your trials. It's, it's crazy. It, it feels misplaced. Like if you were in a desert and you came across a bunch of flowers in bloom, it would be really surprising. It would be like, that doesn't seem like it should be there. But maybe that is exactly why God has you in this darkness right now, in this place of hardship, so that when people look on at your life, that God's light would shine all the brighter, that they would walk by and see your desert and say, wow, did you see the flowers in full bloom in that person's life? Did you see the peace and the dignity that they are walking through this storm with? God's favor can make you triumph even in the midst of trials. So I want you to try to imagine yourself as Joseph, the 17-year-old kid. He's got big dreams, a bright future. He goes to sleep one night, or he wakes up one morning, and he is the favorite son of his dad. But then that night he goes to sleep, and he is a slave on the way to Egypt. That is a bad day. And what does Joseph do in the midst of these trials? How can you even... How do you even wrap your mind around this, such a big change of expectations? Don't you know that there was just this mental battle going on in Joseph's head? He had such an unwanted reality to adjust to. How do we adjust when there is such a horrible change of expectations that would be so unwanted in our lives? The truth is most of us adjust very slowly while kicking and screaming, and we we may get mad at God, or we may blame everybody else. Look how you got me to where I am. Or we get bitter. We get depressed. And the amazing thing about Joseph is the Bible never gives any indication that he responded that way. That all we see from Joseph throughout his life is faithfulness and integrity. That he kept showing up even when it was hard. That he didn't mope around because he was in a place that he didn't want to be. He kept going to work even when the work was difficult and unpleasant, and it was something that he would have never chosen for himself. He was faithful. I wonder if that could be said of us today. When things get hard, do we just look for an escape route? Do we just try to find our way out of circumstances that we don't want to be in? Or can we, like Joseph, Accept the fact that God might be wanting to develop a little character inside of us. Can we see our trial with the eyes of faith? That there could be a greater purpose behind this. That the pain is not pointless. But that there is something that God wants to do in you that is so much bigger than what he wants to do through you. If you do not allow the trials to develop the character in you that God is wanting to develop, then you will never be able to to handle the weight of responsibility. When God puts a bigger responsibility on your shoulders, when he wants you to triumph, when he wants to elevate you up, you won't be able to handle the weight of it if your character is not strong enough. That blessing that God wants to put on your life will turn into a curse. It will crush you if you do not have the character and the strength to hold it. So Joseph walked faithfully in the trial that was in his hands, and it prepared him for the fruitfulness that God was going to give him in the future. Let me go ahead and tell you the end of the story. Joseph, through this crazy turn of events, ends up as the second in command of all of Egypt. And it did not happen immediately. It was actually 
a long road for him. Things got worse for Joseph before they ended up getting better. And it was 13 long, hard years of slavery and then prison. But you know what Joseph did? Is he showed up early, and he stayed late, and he got results, and he worked hard, and he pleased his supervisors, and he was faithful in the trial. And then one day God gave him the promotion of all promotions, and he was ready for it. He had the character to hold him in the midst of that. You might have heard this phrase that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you heard that before? Not our Joseph. Joseph was put in a position of almost absolute power, and yet he maintained absolute integrity because he had allowed those 13 years prior to develop in him what he needed to hold him. He had character of gold. Very few of us could handle that type of authority. We'd all like to think that we could. We'd all like to think that if we got into that position, we'd be ready for it. But the, the reality is that, that power, without checks and balances, seems to corrupt people. Success is not the thing that develops our character. Success is what amplifies our character. So if we cut corners with a little bit, we will cut corners with a lot. But if we are faithful with what is in our hands today, then we will be faithful with whatever it is that God puts in our hands tomorrow. Where in your life are you tempted to cut corners right now? Maybe it's at work. And maybe you show up to work and you do your job, kind of. You get by. You please your supervisor, kind of. But you know that you're not bringing your best. You know that you are cutting some corners. Or maybe it's at home. Maybe you're cutting corners by telling people at home, I'll be home at this time, but it keeps getting later and later and later, and you are cutting corners in the relationships that matter most to you. Or maybe it's with your integrity, and it, it doesn't feel like that big of a deal right now. It's just a few texts. It's just a few minutes on the Internet. It's not that big of a deal, but you're cutting corners. And if you cut corners with a little bit, you'll cut corners with a lot because success amplifies our character. This past year, Andy and I have been through some um, pretty intense trials as parents. And we got into some situations where we felt like we were in over our heads and we needed to reach out for some help. You guys ever feel like that as parents? It's like you would do whatever it took to help your kid, but maybe you just don't know what it is that your kid needs. And so we started reading books and we started um, going to doctors and we've been working with this awesome counselor for the past um, several months, every week. It's been very helpful, but it's also been very costly. And it's been, it's been hard. It's been painful for all of us in, in a variety of ways. And there's this one part of you as a parent, it's like the good part of you. And you feel deep compassion for your kid. And you hurt when your kid hurts, and you'll do anything you can to help them. But then there's this other part of you. Andy and I call it the lesser loser version of ourselves. And sometimes it just rears up its head, and you feel kind of bitter that your kid is putting you through the ringer. And, and you're kind of frustrated that suddenly your whole life is revolving around their issues. And at the end of the day, there's no thank you. There's no, well done, mom, good job. And it hurts. It's a, it's a painful trial. 
Some trials are, are, they linger on and on. For example, our, our son, Sammy, he is adopted. We adopted him right before he turned two years old. And he was, um, he, when he first came home, we knew to expect that there was going to be a season of adjustment for Sammy. Because every adoption, even though it can end up beautifully, every adoption starts with heartbreak. And it doesn't have to end there, but that's where it starts for every adopted child. And they have grief to work through because of the loss that they've experienced. And you have to go through that attachment and bonding process. And so Andy and I knew to expect that this trial would be difficult, but we didn't know that it would be so long. Do you know that it took Sammy 18 months to sleep through the night? That every single night for a year and a half, I was up with him. And neither one of us were getting the sleep that we needed. And do you know that it took a lot longer for that attachment process to take place than I ever imagined? And it was hard, and it wrecked my heart. And I'm happy to say that five years later, that that attachment process has been completed. And it's wonderful. But at that one-year mark, I remember crying and just saying to Andy, I thought we'd be further than this. Some trials are intense, and they linger on and on. But you know what we've learned? We have learned through the midst of this that there is something that God is doing in us that is good. And he's developing this, that this pain that we're in is not pointless. There is a purpose behind the pain. He is developing inside of us something that is worth pure gold. We've seen how God's faithfulness, that his presence is with us, that the bad bad circumstances do not mean the absence of God's presence, but that he is there. It's quite the contrary, actually, that he is the anchor that has held us through those bad circumstances, that he is what gives us hope and light in the darkness, that he is holding us. We've also seen in crazy ways how God's favor has allowed us to triumph even in the midst of our trials. That when we're suffering through these difficult circumstances, it has, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, kind of baffling to us how even in the midst of really hard things, God has continued to open doors for us. He has answered prayers that we have prayed for for years. He continues to provide. And Andy and I believe that it is our faithfulness in these trials that is preparing us for what God has in store for our future. So I want to encourage you today not to waste your pain. That, that it tends to be our prayer. Whenever we get stuck in trials, we just pray, God, deliver me from this trial. Deliver me. Get me out of this situation. But God is saying to us, before I deliver you, will you let me develop you? Because there's something good I want to do in you. Let me have this opportunity to develop you through this storm. So I want to encourage you, keep showing up to class for character school. Character school is kind of funny in that way because not everyone enrolled there actually attends class. It's kind of optional. Like everyone can attend class. It's there for everyone. Everyone could get a diploma. But there's always a group of people that cut class. And they tend to huddle up together and they they swap all their sob stories and they just bathe around in their bitterness. And, and at the end of it all, instead of getting a diploma, they just get a certificate of achievement. A certificate of completion. Good job, you survived. Congratulations. And they don't get to walk out of there with the same endurance 
and strength of character and hope that they could have. It could have been developed in there, but all they walked away with is, is fear and suspicion and bitterness. And I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want that to be said of you either. So let's keep showing up to class and let's bring a notebook and let's sit on the front row and let's gather every, every ounce of goodness that we can through the midst of these trials. I want to close with, with this one last promise from God. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the story of Job. Job in the Bible um, also endured a lot of hardships, just like Joseph. He walked through some crazy trials, and, and when he was right in the thick of it, right in the middle of it, he wrote these words that are so powerful. He says, but he knows where I'm going. He's talking about God. He knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Listen to me. He knows where you're going. You may feel like you're stumbling around in the dark, but he has not lost you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows where, you're, where he is taking you, and he is preparing you for that. This test that you are in, it is refining you. And if you will stay faithful right now, if you will submit yourself to this fire, you will come out as pure as gold. There is something that he is developing in you that is pure, and it is of great worth in his sight. So keep showing up to class and letting him develop you. Will you pray with me? There are some moms in this room today, and you need to be encouraged to not give up, but to stay faithful, to know that he is with you and that he sees you and that you are precious in his, in his sight, that you are doing a great work on the home front and that he, in the middle of it all, is doing a great work inside of you. There is a student here today who is cutting some corners. And you need to hear that God sees and that he wants you to thrive in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of growing up in this modern day time, of going to high school and middle school and college, that, that it is difficult. It is not easy to live in these times. But you are cutting some corners and he doesn't want that for you. He wants something better for you. There is a a man here today who is tempted to cut corners with his integrity. And God wants you to know that your faithfulness now will determine the course of your life. That your faithfulness in the middle of these trials will define you. That, that there is so much on the line right now, so much more than you're seeing in this moment. And he wants you to lift up your eyes and to say, I will stay faithful in this trial and I will believe you that you are developing me for something in my future. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. And in this song, it talks about how that you bring light to my darkness, that you are the thing that sustains me. There's a, there's a word for God in the Old Testament, uh, a name that we call him. It's actually throughout the Bible called Emmanuel. And it means that God is with us, that he is the with us God, that you are not alone in your circumstance, that he did not leave you there to fend for yourself or to figure it out on your own, but that he is with you, that he left heaven and he came to earth. It's not just a cliche. He actually came to earth to be with us. And then when he went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts and to help us in this present moment. Guys, he is with us today, and he is worthy of our praise. He wants to help you. He wants to develop you in this moment, whatever trial you're going through. 
And so when we stand up in just a minute to praise him, I want you to think about that, to think on the God that is with us, that he is doing something beautiful inside of you right now. Will you submit yourself to this fire? Will you come forth as gold the way he wants you to? Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would encourage their hearts today, that you would inspire them to rise up, that there is more in them than they feel, that they are stronger than they think they are because you are with them, that we can't do this on our own strength, but that through you, Lord Jesus, you are with us. You are strengthening us in this trial, and that through you we can be victorious, even in the midst of our trials, that we can triumph through this pain, that you can develop us. Lord Jesus, we pray all of this in the name of you, that your precious, your precious name, Lord Jesus, would you stand with us as we worship.